Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Romans chapter 2 verses 12 and 13, New International Version. Hello. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm Victoria Kay. We're glad to be with you today on Anchored by Truth. This is the ninth episode in a series we are calling The Seriousness of Sin. As the name implies, we are taking a detailed look at sin, and we have covered a lot of important ground. We have talked about the consequences of sin both in this world and in eternity to come. We've discussed the reality and nature of hell. And a few episodes ago, we began talking about how seriously God treats sin. For instance, have you ever realized that man lost paradise and introduced death into creation just by committing one sin in the Garden of Eden? Moreover, God destroyed almost all life on earth in a flood that encompassed the whole world because of sin. All that sounds pretty serious to me. So in today's episode, we're going to begin our wrap-up. To do that, we have R.D. Fierro in the studio. R.D. is an author and the founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., you said that today you want to talk about sin as being out of bounds. What do you mean by that? Well, I'd also like to welcome everyone to Anchored by Truth here today. We're glad you're with us because we think this series is very important. In our day and age, so many people disregard the seriousness of sin. We've almost become flippant about sin in our culture. In many places, we're celebrating sinful activities. And that's just enormously dangerous for people individually. And it's enormously dangerous for our culture. Well, at one point when I was thinking about sin, I was actually having an email exchange with Doug Apple, who is the manager of the Wave 94 radio station in Tallahassee. Now, Doug is a very thoughtful and mature Christian. And I'm always impressed with the quality of his insight and observations. So Doug said this to me in an email, and I'm quoting Doug now. Once you throw out the notion of God the Creator, who created creation with a certain way of working, you are in trouble. He told us what works and what doesn't. He set up boundaries for us, and things outside the boundaries are called sin. And things outside the boundaries don't work right. If we are paying attention and connect the dots, we can see that things outside the boundaries are problematic. And that ends Doug's quote. Hmm, that is an interesting insight. Doug is making a very important point. God set the boundaries for all of creation when he made everything. I'm reminded of Job chapter 38 verses 8 through 11 when God said to Job, quote, Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, 
when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, This far you have come and no further, here is where your proud waves halt. Unquote. That's from the New International Version. Doug is noting that just as God set boundaries for the physical forces of nature, God also set boundaries for human behavior. Yes. Doug's point is not only insightful, but it's powerful. Our nation, and much of the world today, is obsessed with sports. So let's think about this for just a second. I don't think that I can think of a single sport that does not have boundaries or some sort of limits that have to be respected by all the competitors in the sport. If you go out of bounds, if you go beyond the prescribed limits, well, there is always some kind of negative consequence including the outright loss of the game or the penalty or something else. But if you go outside the bounds, go beyond the prescribed limits, in every sport, there's always some kind of a negative consequence. You know, football fields, baseball fields, soccer fields, they have sidelines. And you have to stay within those sidelines in order for the play to be legal. Golf courses have penalties if you hit a ball out of bounds. I mean, even sports that don't use sidelines or spatial boundaries will have time limits for getting a shot off or making a move. I mean, I think I'd go so far as to say there is no sport that doesn't have boundaries of one kind or another. And players who violate those boundaries get penalized in some way. They lose the ball, have points taken away, lose a turn, etc. Something negative happens when they violate the boundaries. The creator of the sport is the one who set the original boundaries. Now, the boundaries may change from time to time, but even when they do, the players are obligated to stay within the boundaries or they will lose. Right. And I think that's one of the great points that we see from Doug's observation. As we have been saying since the beginning of this series, sin is serious and sin is dangerous. It's so dangerous that we need not to flirt with it. And we need to avoid pretending that somehow we are exempt from the perils of sin. A lot of us today, we tamper around with sin. We'll flirt with sin. Well, when we tamper with sin, we lose. And just as with our sports metaphor, if one player flouts the boundaries, it could cost their whole team the game. You know, in life, we hardly ever just play for ourselves. We're almost always part of a team whether it's a family or a company or a church, a community, or even a nation. If we routinely and impenitently sin, we are not the only one that is going to lose. Many others are going to lose, sometimes a great many others. So as we begin our wrap-up of this series, I think Doug's observation helps us summarize many of the points that we have tried to make in this series. Where do you want to start? Well, let's return briefly to the story that we discussed in our last episode of Anchored by Truth. Let's go back to one of the most serious examples in the Bible of how seriously God treats sin. In our last episode of Anchored by Truth, we discussed the story we find in the book of Genesis about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we focused on the central human figure of the story, the patriarch Abraham's nephew Lot. Lot lived in Sodom until the day before the destruction of the cities. He only survived because God sent two angels to Lot to warn Lot to get his family out of the city. Most of Lot's family members ignored the warning and died in the destruction. 
Even Lot's wife looked back as she was leaving the city with Lot and two of her daughters, and she turned into a pillar of salt. Lot and his youngest daughters could have returned to Abraham's camp because the camp was not that far away. Genesis chapter 19, verses 27 and 28 tells us, quote, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all of the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace, unquote. That's from the New International Version also. Right. You know, Lot could have taken his two young daughters and gone and asked for refuge from his uncle Abraham. You know, throughout that portion of Genesis, we see that Abraham seemed to display a great fondness for Lot. Heck, Abraham had gone and rescued Lot when he got kidnapped by a bunch of raiders. I think Abraham would gladly have taken Lot in. If Lot had gone to Abraham, he probably could have settled in Abraham's camp, and when the time came, it's quite likely that his daughters would have found future husbands from either the relatives or friends of Abraham. But Lot didn't go to Abraham. He tried to settle in another one of those cities near the Jordan River, near all that sin, but even that didn't work. You know, it's quite likely that the residents of the nearby cities of Sodom and Gomorrah thought of Lot and his daughters as being cursed because they had just come from cities that had so obviously been destroyed by God. So Lot and his daughters wound up living in a cave up in the hills where his daughters became so desperate that they would never have families of their own that their desperation led them to get their father drunk and commit incest with him. We hear from Genesis chapter 19, verses 36 through 38, that, quote, So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. And later in history, the Moabites and the Ammonites would both become competitors and enemies of Israel. So in the future, what happened in that cave was going to have very grave consequences for the whole nation of Israel. So one of the points that we made in our last episode, one of the big points of this series, is that sin induces people to make very bad decisions. And more often than not, one bad decision leads to others. Lot's original decision to seek the easy life down by the Jordan River led him to the point of losing everything he owned and just about everyone that he loved. But even worse, his poor decision-making led to his daughters making sinful decisions of their own. If Lot had at least fled to Abraham, perhaps his daughters would not have crafted their own desperately sinful plan. Right. Part of the reason that sin is so dangerous is that a sinful decision often seems to lead us to some form of pleasure. You know, the first time a young person takes a drink, They'll get the buzz. They'll enjoy feeling less inhibited, more relaxed. They seemingly can enjoy things more. But if that young person continues to drink enough, there comes a time when they lose the good feelings and they go straight from being sober to being drunk and out of control. And then those people will start to experience pain and anguish when they're not drinking. Living in sin, as Lot lived in Sodom, makes you available for destruction. In sports, the players who make their plays closest to the lines often give us the most thrills. But if the game is on the line, one inch outside the line can make the difference in the game, make the difference in the season, 
make the difference in a career. You know, a good golfer does not try to see how close they can get to the out-of-bounds marker. A good golfer tries to keep their shots in the middle of the fairway. Engaging in sin often brings an initial sense of pleasure. The pain comes later, and it always comes. The thrill of gambling a little can turn into a financial ruin. The first drug use makes people high. But continued use will destroy their bodies, relationships, careers, and even result in death. Drinking leads to drunk driving and potentially prison. The early pleasure is replaced by the lasting pain. And as Doug observed, God built us in the system that way. The pain sin brings tells us that we are going over the boundary of where God wants us to be. If we live life in the middle of the fairway, we will not only score well, we will be safe. Yes. Once man committed the first sin in the Garden of Eden, God began to do at least two things simultaneously. First, he initiated a plan for the redemption of all of Adam and Eve's descendants who had placed their trust in God and not in themselves for salvation. And the second thing that God did was set in place consequences for sin that would restrain man's new longing for sin. We talked about that in the sixth episode in this series. After the first sin, God cursed the ground so now Adam and Eve had to struggle to get enough food for themselves and their family. Part of the reason God made Adam have to spend more time supplying their food was because that reduced the amount of time and energy he would have on mischief. And now that death was a possibility for them, they needed a routine that would help them stay in good physical condition. Working to grow food would certainly be better for them physically than if they were able to get all they needed without doing anything. We tend to think of hard physical labor as being a curse, but the need to work for their food probably established some beneficial habit in Adam and Eve and their family. Exactly. Engaging in sin means that we are leaving the boundaries God established for us, just as God established the limits for other parts of creation. For instance, in the book of Job, God said that he would, quote, set the sea's doors and bars in place. God said to the sea, quote, this far you may come and no farther, unquote. God put limits on his physical creation, and we can see that all around us. Well, God also put limits on human behavior, and God shows us that he has put limits on human behavior in a lot of different ways. First of all, God gave us verbal instructions about the limits of our behavior in commands in the Bible, like the Ten Commandments. God also gave us emotionally the experiences of guilt and remorse and regret to tell us that we are doing things wrong. And God has even given us physical sensations that tell us about the effects of sin. Because if we drink to excess and get a hangover, or if you take illegal drugs and get addicted, you can start to see your body deteriorating. God has prescribed boundaries for human behavior, and God has ways of telling us that we are going out of bounds. C.S. Lewis famously said, quote, We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. We are most keenly aware of God's character in our suffering. It is when our self-sufficiency is peeled away that we see how weak we really are, unquote. Just as all sports have boundaries, so does life. 
We can go so far as to say that without boundaries, there's no sports or games. I mean, at best, without boundaries, there might be the possibility of some kind of play, but there certainly is no meaningful sporting event or sporting contest. Well, another point that we can see in Doug's observation is that when we sin, we are in effect attempting to cheat. And we're not only cheating God, but we are also cheating ourselves. I like that. When we sin, we are engaging in a form of cheating. There's an old story that a minister once asked a young boy what he thought God was like. The boy replied, I think he's the kind of fellow who tries to go about and see if anyone is having fun. And if they are, he stops them. A lot of people think God is like that. Far too many people in our day and age think of sin as being fun and pleasurable. Being obedient to God is dull and boring. And again, that's just a great example and illustration of how dangerous sin is. Now, I would never say that sin and Satan aren't good at marketing. They are. But as with everything that opposes God, the marketing is deceptive and it's deceitful. Sin and Satan promise pleasure, but in the end, they always deliver only pain and misery. Now, the married person who engages in a little flirting and then proceeds to adultery might additionally find that adulterous relationship exciting and thrilling. But adulterous relationships destroy marriages, and they terrify children, and they decimate lives and careers. You know, contrary to what we see on TV and in the movies, adultery is never a good solution to people's unhappiness. At first, it may be exciting. I mean, sin always wants us to think short term. But God always wants us to build for eternity. Sin is a way of trying to cheat to get a better life. Someone wants more money to buy better things. But rather than work for it and wait for it, they steal from their employer. They might steal a little at first, but as time goes by, they steal more and more because they will find their hunger for the so-called better things is never satisfied. They try to cheat their way to prosperity. Someone wants to feel better after they've had a bad day at work, so they stop at the bar and have a few drinks to relax. But one night turns into many, and that turns into a habit that steals their money and time from taking care of their home and their family. They're trying to find an easy way to find peace and joy, so they cheat using alcohol. We could go on and on with examples, but I don't think we need to. Sinning is trying to cheat at life, just as a player may try to cheat to get a better score or an unfair advantage. And again, our consciences will tell us, some more clearly than others, but our consciences will tell us that sin, like cheating, is wrong. But there is a problem with our consciences. After the fall, our consciences have been seared and they no longer operate the way they should. So while our consciences are helpful to alerting us to sin, our consciences are not infallible. But the Bible is infallible, isn't it? That's how we start every episode of Anchored by Truth, with the declaration that the Bible is inspired, inerrant, and infallible. That means when we inform our conscience with the truth present in the Bible, we can place more trust in our conscience, alerting us that we are sinning. Our conscience will still not be perfect, but by regular and consistent exposure to God's truth, we can train our consciences, and such training will help us be more sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit to help us notice and combat the sin that ensnares us so easily. Yes. And before we close for today, 
there is one more point that I think we can glean from Doug's insight. You know, we've been talking about the importance of boundaries in sports and how it's impossible to win without staying within those boundaries. But sports is far from the only place in life that we find boundaries. You know, if someone goes and buys a house or a piece of property, they're almost always going to have a survey done of the property so they can know what the boundaries of their property are. People want to know the boundaries of their property because that tells them where they may safely and legally build. And they want to find out whether anyone has violated those boundaries so they can seek compensation or remediation. And before a pilot, whether he or she is a fixed-wing pilot or a helicopter pilot, before a pilot ever sits behind a control stick or a wheel in a cockpit, that future pilot has already spent hours in class studying things that don't frankly seem very glamorous. They study oil pressure and hydraulic pressure. They study bank and turn rates. They study the performance parameters of their engine, revolutions per minute, whatever. Now, the reason that a pilot does all that study before they ever sit in a cockpit is that a pilot needs to know the safe operating limits and levels of their aircraft. Because a pilot who does not understand the performance envelope of their aircraft is a danger to their passengers, crew, the aircraft, and themselves. Exactly. So we can see that there is another valuable purpose that is served by people understanding that sinful behavior is out of bounds. Sinful behavior is unsafe. Remember Doug's observation. Doug said God created creation with a certain way of working. He told us what works and what doesn't. He set up boundaries for us, and things outside the boundaries are called sin. That's what Doug said, and I agree with him. You know, a pilot studies the acceptable performance parameters of their aircraft so they will know how to operate that aircraft safely. A property owner needs to know the boundaries of their property so they don't run the risk of loss by building something that might have to be moved later or torn down. Well, if the property owner doesn't study the boundaries of their own property, they might easily violate those boundaries, and that's going to cost them down the road. And frankly, the property owner wants to know the boundaries of their property to make sure that their own rights haven't been violated. I see where you're going with this thought. Boundaries not only make legitimate sports possible, they also keep us safe in other areas of life. As we age, we learn that our bodies have their own boundaries. We need to keep our weight below certain levels. We need to get adequate rest. We need to be careful lifting heavy objects or working outside when it's too hot or too cold. When we start to exceed the natural boundaries of our body, we jeopardize our health and longevity. When you think about it, boundaries are present just about everywhere we turn. Our bank accounts only have so much money in them, and the range of cars is limited by how much gas the tank holds and how many miles they can get per gallon. We live in a physical creation, and boundaries and limits are an integral part of a physical creation. And as Doug observed, when God designed creation, he designed the boundaries for all parts of creation, including the boundaries of our own planet's features. As God reminded Job in the quote we heard earlier. And as the Apostle Paul reminded the church at Rome, which we heard about in our opening scripture. The law that was given to Israel contained a detailed description of what was permissible for them and what was not permissible for them. When God gave the ancient Israelites the law, God was simply drawing specific boundaries for them, just as he had long ago 
drawn the boundaries for the physical structure of the heavens and the earth. What you're saying is that despite our science fiction and fantasy movies, we human beings do not and cannot control the reality in which we live. Boundaries are a simple fact of the created order. They are in the physical creation, and they are for the creature that God created in his own image. And we disregard those boundaries at our own peril. That's the point. The Apostle Paul told the Roman church that regardless of whether they started out as Jews or Gentiles, regardless of whether they had grown up knowing the specific content of the Hebrew law, the limits in the law still governed their behavior. And those who chose to sin were going to be outside God's designated boundaries. And when they went outside God's designated boundaries, that meant they were becoming unrighteous. Well, God has designed the whole system, physical, emotional, the structures of the earth. God has designed the whole system to warn us about the consequences of going beyond the boundaries and becoming unrighteous. You know, the ultimate consequence of remaining unrighteous is, of course, to spend an eternity in hell. But God has given us a lot of warnings in our present world to tell us that we need to do everything in our power to avoid that fate. And of course, the one thing that we can all do is to accept Christ Jesus as our Savior because we are all going to exceed the boundaries. We're all going to sin at some time, but Jesus' atoning sacrifice has already made provision for our sin. So when we do go outside the boundaries, God will still bring us into his kingdom because God is looking at Jesus' merit and not at our own merit. We never would qualify for heaven on our own, but praise God. God has already made provision for our lack of merit through Christ Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross. As C.S. Lewis said, quote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world, unquote. Sin is fundamentally wrong because it is rebellion against God. But it is also wrong because it is a form of cheating in this life and it puts us and our families in danger. Doug has made such an important point. God didn't design his creation to curtail our fun. That's the lie the devil propagates. God put boundaries in creation to show us how to live safe, joyful, and fulfilling lives. We can either believe that God loves us and respect those boundaries, or... We can fall for the devil's lies and try to cheat our way to a life that will promise pleasure, but only deliver pain. This sounds like a great time to pray. Today, let's listen to a prayer for the school boards who oversee the education of children. Their duty is extremely important. Let's pray they don't cheat by trying to impart sinful ideas into schools and curricula. A Prayer for School Boards All-wise and everlasting Father, we glorify your name, for you alone are worthy to receive worship and praise as the one true God. We thank you, Father, for the privilege of coming into your presence. We do so with glad hearts and earnest hope. Lord, we pray that you would be in our midst this day as we ask for special blessings for our school board. Theirs is the important work of providing guidance to all the schools and learning centers in our community. As issues arise before the board, 
please help the members to be faithful and diligent to their calling. Grant them wisdom in their deliberations and decision-making. Help them to always focus on the genuine needs of students and schools. Inspire them to be trustworthy stewards of the authority and responsibility that has been placed in their hands. Make your manifest presence felt in their meetings and ensure that they are never satisfied with mediocrity. Illuminate their minds with the brilliance of your word. Encourage them and do not let them grow weary in their tasks. We ask all this with the confidence that you hear our prayers for the sake of your Holy Son. It is in His incomparable name that we pray and give thanks. Amen. Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at crystalseabooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where We're not perfect, but our boss is. And for those of you who need that website one more time, that's crystalseabooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S, Thank you for your support.